What's up, Whisper Nation? We are back again with the matchup breakdown part two. But and we're going over the rest of week one matchups. We're going to let you know who you need to sit, who you need to start, who you consider as dart throws, all that and more on this matchup breakdown of part one from the Fantasy Whispers. Right here. That's right. Like Johnny said, we're talking the second half of the NFL slate of matchups and all the fantasy football implications of Sunday's games. But if you love that fresh fantasy football content and you want more of it daily, consider subscribing over on the YouTube channel and our other videos. Give those a like on your way in. Uh, that being said, I am Big Travi. You can find me on Twitter at Big Travi TFW. I'm joined by Johnny Game Time Hicks, who you can find on Twitter at Johnny underscore Game Time. What's going on, Johnny? What up? We are uh, today's the day. Today is the day where we get to watch football. We get to actually watch actual football for four quarters. It's not this, oh, what are they practicing? Oh, this mundane offense. No, 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 no. None of that. We get to watch actual football, boys. Yes, sir. Super jacked for that. And on the other mic, of course, is last but not least, Austin Sear. You can find him on Twitter at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. Austin, we, you know, Johnny jumping the gun, telling people what day it is. They're going to be listening to this later. So it's kind of like a time travel thing. But you can, you know, the fans could go back and look at that Thursday night matchup. Anything you're looking forward to the most in week one right now? Week one. I mean, goodness gracious, you put me with such a difficult question. Just one thing. (laughs) My bad. My bad. (laughs) I'm looking forward to. Honestly, this Thursday night game is a phenomenal one. You hear defending champs, Tom Brady coming in and doing things that no 40 year old has ever done before. We're also getting to see Dak Prescott, who was on pace to break the yardage record last season, going head-to-head. I think it's just a great matchup. I can't wait to see my Packers. I can't wait to see my Cardinals out there. Kyler Murray's about to do, looking healthy, looking good. Um, so many Green going to do? Is AJ yeah. Green, yeah. Green going <laughs> to go back to his old pace? I hope he does a lot. And I'm excited for so many different storylines, man. Literally, there's three for every single team. Yeah, we'll be jumping into both of those games involving the Cardinals and the Packers in this one. But I wanted to start off with a little bit of quick question. Summer is officially over, obviously. So barring some recency bias, gentlemen, I want to ask you if you have a favorite season. Austin, I'll keep it back with you. Like, do you have a favorite season of the year? Is there a part of the year that you enjoy the most? It's got to be fall, man. I think it does have to be fall. And it's not just because of football, but it certainly is not because of not of football. Uh, we've got weather shifting. I think the clothing is better. You get to layer. Uh, hey, love, you know, just tank tops and swim shorts, but layering provides a whole nother element. Um, I like hot cocos. I like pumpkin spice lattes. I like carving pumpkins. I like the general aesthetic. Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving Big is my favorite meal of the yeah. year. I like to eat all the leftovers in one hoagie for like three days afterwards, man. Yeah. So many things that I, I love. so hungry. About it. It's fall, and it's not close. Yeah. All right, Johnny, can you follow that up? Do you believe in fall as well? I do believe in fall. Uh, Being from Arizona, fall is my favorite time because it actually starts to get cooler. It's not so hot. Uh, So fall is definitely, you know, and above all, like like Austin said, it's it's football. Football is back. That is the, the like the starting point of when I know the good weather is ahead of us, the good times are ahead of us, the excitement that we get every Sunday morning waking up as if it's Christmas morning, you get the butterflies, all yeah. that comes back in this time of the year. And Trevor, I just our- want to say really quickly on that one, I know a lot of people would say summer, but I really think we're yeah. just kind of conditioned to not having school. And we just yeah. carry this memory with us as we go on, but it's like sweaty and like sticky and stuff, yeah. you know, and there's like no, yeah, it's like, 
I, I love that you brought that up, not to get a little off track even more on the show here, but I think that is a real point. Like we go grow up thinking that like, oh, we just got to get to summer vacation. And then when summer ends, we're like, oh, we're so sad. But it's like, think back to this last summer. Was it really as great as you thought it was going to be heading into summer? I don't know. So I do love summer. I probably prefer it over winter, uh, but I'm with you. I think fall and spring are really the winners here. I think they're the yeah. ones that and in between, they get you set for the right stuff. You're getting the perfect weather, but not the too hot weather. Um, and then the colors and fall. It's all it's all good stuff. All right. Moving on to some more great stuff. We've got the Buffalo Bills hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first matchup we're going to talk about today. Um, it starts that second half of our matchup preview show. Um, and so we'll start with this game. It's 48 and a half uh, as far as the over under per Vegas. We've got Buffalo favored by six and a half at home. I just want to know, Austin, when we look at this situation, we've been hearing all offseason. We saw them draft Najee Harris in the first round. Mm-hmm. We've been hearing the Steelers say that they want to run the football. Can they do it, and will they be able to back up what their mouth has been saying this offseason? Of course they want to run the football. I think everybody in the NFL wants to run the football or, more importantly, have the ability to run the football, have that as an option in your repertoire that's legit, that you can keep the defense honest and keep your – the type of plays open. And I think they do have that chance now, Travis. Najee Harris, first halfback off the board in this 2021 NFL draft. Najee over in Alabama with the four years he spent there had a 6.0 yards per carry. You love to see that. And 364 yards through the air average in his last two seasons. There really is no competition, Travis, behind Najee Harris. Yeah, Kalen Balaj is going to be there, but you literally got to like look into the depth chart to find who's there at this point. It's a lot of practice squad type players it is Najee's role he's a great pass catcher he's a great runner he's set up to have the full workload coming his way I think he might get some of the most touches in the NFL this season he's got a shot for that but the question is are they going to be running the running the rock and sticking with this language they've used I don't know how that's going to be the case Travis with Big Ben and Mike Tomlin still over in Pittsburgh Big Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball for the third most attempts last season And you go back the year before that or into 2018, and he threw the ball the most. So the Steelers love to throw the ball. And we know about Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster. They got great weapons over there. But Najee Harris is going to give them an ability to open up the entire playbook. So, yeah, I think they're going to be a pretty balanced team. It's going to be able to do a lot of what they want, Travis. I think that's a really great point. I love that you set me up there with the Ben Roethlisberger to bring it home because that was one of the other big questions I was wondering is, is Ben Roethlisberger dusted? Is he done? Because what we saw last night was his, or last night, last year was his lowest yardage mark since 2012. His 6.3 yards per attempt was a career low in a season that he played more than 15 games over his career. So I'll be looking for that arm strength in the game. Um, Vegas believes the Bills will be controlling this game. They believe it's going to be a six and a half point spread as we talked about. So that means they're going to have to probably throw to get back into this game and so Johnny I guess that brings me to the point that I want to make you know what's going on with all these three wide receivers do you think that you've been saying all offseason it'll definitely be Deontay Johnson that separates himself remember Deontay had a bad uh, playoff game against Buffalo or or a, a bad Sunday night game against Buffalo last year where you had a lot of drops was benched so how do we see this out for this particular game and then just kind of things you're watching for So Deontay is still going to be in my lineup. It's not the greatest matchup week one against Buffalo. They actually do have a a pretty solid secondary uh, look for Tredavious White to be matched up on, on him during some parts of the game. But I do expect Tredavious White to mostly be matched up against Claypool because he's a bigger physical wide receiver. 
Uh, I So as far as Deontay goes, starting him, he should see a lot of targets. I do want to remind people there were only four games last year, which Deontay saw less than 10 targets. So if you're in a PPR league too, I think he's super safe for this week, even though it's a tough matchup. Chase Claypool, I am throwing him out there as a flex play this week. I do think even though Tredavious White will be on him for a, probably more than half the snaps, I do think there's tremendous ups, upside with uh, the play there. And I do think that Ben, Big Ben Roethlisberger will air it out from time to time uh, to really test the secondary. So Chase could be the beneficiary of that. Juju is the guy that I'm kind of, uh, you know, flexing out if, if I can, if I have that option. He was taken later on in drafts. So I do think there is ability where you probably do end up having the better, uh, a better option at wide receiver than Juju. Once again, the secondary is a very good secondary. So if I don't need to start those pieces, I probably look elsewhere uh, with only Deontay being probably the safest one uh, in this wide receiver core uh, of the three. Safe is not what we could call the running back situation or the running back room over in Buffalo. And one of the biggest narratives has been who can emerge as, as maybe the running back here. And does it matter because Josh Allen has been so adapt to running in the end zone, uh, you know, running in the, in the goal line when we, when we need our running backs to get it. So Austin, you know, talking with uh, you here, I want, I wanted to ask you if we can establish to run with anyone this year in this Buffalo backfield. And if you've got your eye on any of these guys, you know, we saw Zach Moss, try to be the lead back last year, get hurt. Now it looks like Singletary is going to start as the starter. How do you, how do you see this shape it up? I like how you said that uh, Zach Mox tried to take over this backfield. last year. <laughs> I'd also say Devin Singletary tried to hold the backfield as well. And both of them didn't do either one of themselves, any huge favors, but I don't know if they were ever really set up for success. Travis in the first place, can they establish the run in Buffalo? Sure. Are they going to, I don't know if they have any desire to at all. And mm -hmm. they have Josh Allen right now, who's got one of the biggest arms in the NFL. He is young enough to rush the ball himself. He's hungry enough to show us what Cam Newton was showing us a few years back earlier in his career um, with all of those rushing touchdowns. But right now we have two halfbacks ha that haven't done a tremendous job at distancing one of from the other. Last season, we saw Singletary with 57% of the offensive snap rate. Zach Moss is 37%. It really is just a one-two punch. There's not a third. Like Yeldon was over there. We're not concerned about that. But between Singletary and Moss, Moss did have uh, a handful of games that he missed due to injury. Um, and when that happened, Singletary came in and stepped in. But when you look at the overall numbers, Travis, um, Zach Moss finished as the number 27 elusive halfback, and Singletary finished as the number 39 elusive halfback. Zach Moss is also the better pass blocker, just by a little bit, but according to Pro Football Focus, he stats out as a better pass catcher. Um, he scores higher on speed. This is Zach Moss. Speed scores, Zach Moss beats Devin Singletary. Bench press, he beats Devin Singletary. And almost all metrics, uh, Zach Moss comes out ahead of Devin Singletary. It's not by a lot, but what I mean by this is we're waiting last year a little bit on the games that Zach Moss missed. As the season kept going, Zach Moss's touches increased and Devin Singletary's touches decreased, both in the red zone, uh, regular rush attempts, um, as well as targets um, are the only targets are the one category that Devin Singletary held on to, but not by that much. So I think that this is going to be an even split. I do think Zach Moss, barring health, eventually edges Devin Singletary out. He looks to be the better runner in nearly every metric. It just takes some time for cream to rise to the top. And I don't think the Buffalo offense is encouraging that to 
to, to go as quickly as it can. They're happy with where they're at. So no, you really can't rely on it. I think Zach Moss end of season is going to be the better of the two, but starting off this year, Devin Singletary might be the better bet in week one. Yeah, I think that's probably the best bet. But yeah, it's not a bet you're like trying to go out and make right now. You kind of want to wait and see on both guys. We're definitely looking at that situation. I wanted to talk a little bit about the wide receiving core because there has been the addition of Emmanuel Sanders in that pass catching unit. Uh, He's been limited in practice, but hopeful to play with a foot. Um, Last year was the wide receiver 43 in points per game with Um, 11.8. That was with a declining breeze. He's been quoted saying that Josh Allen has made throws that he's never seen before. This is a guy that's played with Ben Roethlisberger, with Peyton Manning, with uh, Drew Brees. And so that's some high praise. Um, We look at Cole Beasley, you know, obviously outwardly spoken about the no vaccine. So just so you know, that's another potential risk to his availability as we talk about that as a situation. He was a top 27 option in PPR. We've talked about how wide receivers have attacked Pittsburgh in the past um, via the slot position, but I'm not really geeked on on starting Cole Beasley this week. I think Diggs is the only one I'm trusting um, as the option this week for against a number one ranked Pittsburgh secondary. And just a note on Diggs, obviously led the NFL in targets last year and was dealing with some sort of injury. He is off the injury report. There's no tag for him right now, so he should be ready to rock and roll and play for his you know stud quarterback, Johnny, Josh Allen, who I just really wanted to ask you quickly, do we think Josh Allen had a career year or he is a badass mofo ready to stay? I do think he is ready to stay. I think he is a badass mofo. And I do think that this year he is going to continue to be one of the dominant quarterbacks. I wanted to point this out. Seven of his 15 games last year, he scored or he was the QB three or better. Like that's phenomenal. Um, I do want to point out, though, that last year he did play this Pittsburgh Steelers defense, and it looks to be uh, returning a lot of stars on defense. And in that week, he was the QB 13 on the week. So I do want to temper expectations for Josh Allen this weekend. He could have a bad, you know, it is a bad matchup, so he could have a, a lower game. But that still doesn't mean that I'm just benching him for any player. I'm still going to roll him out there because the upside is tremendous, especially with the running backs banged up. Right on. Well, let's move on to the next game. It's a battle of the birds. Atlanta hosts the Philadelphia Eagles in Atlanta. They're hosting the game here uh, as a three and a half point favorite over the Eagles. Um, when we look at those that this Eagles team, Austin, the trickle down economics for this team start and end with Jalen Hurts. And so the real question I have is, can Jalen Hurts improve as a passer? Will he be a guy that's going to stick in this role? He obviously doesn't have a lot of talent behind him, so I don't see the Eagles actually moving on from him. But for fantasy purposes, what are we wow, going to do? Dis- you just dish your boy Minshew like that, bro. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sending him. I'm sending Minshew that that uh, clip, dude. And well, I mean, mustache talent aside. Yes. Uh, unbelievable talent. I think their best shot is to win is obviously Jalen Hurts. Yes. Right, Austin? 100%. I think so. And the Jalen Hurts bit is one of my favorite storylines coming into this season. You ask, can he improve as a passer? Of course, he can improve as a passer. This is a second year quarterback coming in who has shown an ability to improve at every level of football he's been a part of. We got a very small sample size from Jalen Hurts with really just like four games from last season where we can look at what he showed us. But in those uh, opportunities, I mean, he eclipsed 100 yards on the ground and through the air in his first real shot week 14, followed that up by dropping a 43-burger in fantasy with 338 yards passing and three touchdowns, another one on the ground uh, with 63 rushing yards. The game after that, Travis, he dropped 342 yards with another 69 yards through the ground, another 20-plus point performance for just a guy who's played a handful of games in the NFL. 
how is this guy not going to get better is the question. His weapons are arguably the best that they've been. I mean, last year, Travis Fulgham was his number one option. The guy is still there, but Fulgham's on the practice squad. And I'm going to say this, while his weapons, I don't think are going to do him many consistent favors, Devontae Smith and Jalen Regard, they should be the best duo we've seen in the Eagles rotation since, you know, maybe Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, where they're healthy for like half a game three or four years ago. Uh, he's got a really nice matchup this week too, Travis, going up against Atlanta, who let up the most points to the quarterback position in 2020. Big fan of that matchup for Jalen Hurts. Big fan of just watching how this, uh, you know, will play out for Jalen. And I have to ask, Johnny, what we're looking at in that passing attack because they obviously brought in the Heisman Trophy winner in Devonta Smith. They kept Zach Ertz, so they've definitely got both tight ends rocking. We've got the first-round pick, Jalen Rager, from last year. What are you seeing here? What's the writing on the wall with the pass catchers uh, specifically for this week? Uh, so for this week, I do expect if there's going to be a rookie that I, I would play or consider playing one of them, there's only really two. Uh, and one of them would be Devonta Smith, just because of this offense. We've seen what it does. It funnels to that wide receiver one, that alpha wide receiver. And that's looking to be Devonta Smith. It's not the greatest matchup on paper against AJ Terrell. However, like I said, I do expect the volume to be there. I do expect Jalen Hurts to have a really good game. So someone would have to be the beneficiary there. I do think that it would be too much of a dart throw for Rieger. I do expect him to get some deep shots, but I think it's too much of a gamble to throw him in at any flex position or anything like that. Same with uh, Quez Watkins. We'll see what that relationship kind of bars in the next couple of weeks. And then you referred to these tight ends. I do think the tight ends will get the majority of the work here. However, I do think that they're both going to kind of eat up into each other. And so I can't really tell you which one to start for sure uh, because it, it should be projected to be Goddard. Uh, however, like Travis said, there is still Ertz there and he could still be heavily involved in this. So I am a little concerned uh, with all the pass catchers because we just don't have enough information on who's going to be uh, the main beneficiaries of this offense. But I do expect it to be of all the people if I were going to put my bet on it, it'd be either the tight ends or the rookie Devonta Smith. Yeah. I mean, just to add to your point, if you're going to like, if you drafted Goddard, it's probably because you believe in him and you believe mm -hmm. in the talent. So you're probably rolling him out here this week. I, I'm not going to be talking to you and it's not starting him, but I, we were trying to talk you into not drafting him for sure yeah. at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but we will have a situation here in the running back core that we have to watch closely because not only is Boston Scott a capable backup, but Kenneth Gainwell came out of this preseason with a lot of hype people talking about him and especially as a receiver uh, you saw some of the work that he got in those preseason games so for me Miles Sanders you're rolling him out there especially you know unless you went heavy ro RB robust and he fell in your draft you're starting our you know Miles Sanders probably is your RB2 right now and I think you got to do that even though Atlanta's post the six best rush defense you definitely are still rolling Sanders out there but monitor that workflow closely because Gainwell getting a lot of talk out of camp um, not that I think he'll take over but this coaching staff did not you know, go out and get Miles Sanders with their, you know, they were not the ones to go get Miles Sanders. It's a new staff. So we'll see how that pans out on the Atlanta side of ball uh, side of the ball. Johnny, we got to talk about the first round pick Kyle Pitts first, who was taken with inside the top five by the Atlanta Falcons. Johnny, we've been strong in saying that, you know, Kyle Pitts could burn you this year. How are we feeling in this matchup? What can we realistically expect out of the young rookie? I, I, you know, um, I foreshadowed, that I would only start a couple of wide or a couple of rookies this year or this weekend, excuse me. And one was Devonta Smith. The other one would be Kyle Pitts. Now I, 
I am full aware of where my position is and what I have encouraged Whisper Nation to do on Kyle Pitts this year. And I do admit that this is kind of a dart throw as far as putting him in as your tight end. But I do think it's a relatively safe floor because they are drawing up a lot of uh, a lot of plays for Kyle Pitts. Now, do I think he is going to be you know phenomenal when you roll him out there this weekend? I don't, but it just based on the matchup is why I'm I'm willing to throw Kyle Pitts out there this weekend because he should have one of the better matchups for tight ends uh, when he's faced against Kavon Wallace. For the Philadelphia Eagles, they can't stop a nosebleed uh, so far this preseason. And so I do think the main beneficiary for for Kyle Pitts or is going to be Kyle Pitts as the Atlanta Falcons try to move this ball down the field. And I think that you'll see you'll end up seeing Kyle Pitts, you know, have some highlight catches. I don't think he'll, his target share will get astronomical. But as far as tight ends go, I do think that he'll be a play this weekend. Austin, I want to move on from Kyle Pitts and the passing offense because we we obviously know it's Calvin Ridley, and then we got to figure out who else outside of that. Johnny makes some great points on Calvin Ridley or on um, Kyle Pitts there. I'll talk about the rest of the passing offense soon, but switching gears to Mike Davis because it was thought when he was brought in that that maybe they'd bring in somebody else. They didn't. Mike Davis no. seems to be set up. In fact, they cut Quadriolis and no, they sorry. brought in Wayne Gallman. That's who yeah, they brought in. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I stand by what I said. Yeah. Now, uh, but Austin, I want to ask what, what we're thinking about Mike Davis's volume, if we're, we're confident in that volume and, and starting off this week against the Eagles. Real talk, man. I'm thinking a little bit about Wayne Gallman. And <laughs> the fact that I am thinking about Wayne Gallman should say all you really need to know about Mike Davis. Um, easy come, easy go is uh, a popular saying in today's vernacular. And I think it stands true. And I think it's something you need to keep in mind with Mike Davis. Mike Davis is a perennial backup who had a decent season last year coming in and replacing Christian McCaffrey, Um, but he didn't solidly play all of the time. And I don't expect Mike Davis to be able to keep this going all season long in this week matchup here against Philadelphia. It's not a bad start. I know that Mike Davis is going to have the first crack at it, but if you don't impress, you're just a placeholder. And I'm not sure they're expecting Mike Davis to really be anything much more than a placeholder and it might not last the entire season. Um, He had 37% of his fantasy production last year come through pass catching. He's going to need to keep Cordero Patterson off his tail, as well as Wayne Gallman, who averaged 4.6 yards per carry last season behind a horrendous New York Giants line. Well, uh, I mean, that that's I, that's not I mean, you blew my mind right here. Austin. I'm going to say because I wasn't even thinking about Wayne Gallman at all. And you've made some definite stats here and definite take here that we're going to have to be looking at this running back uh, situation a little bit closer um, and kind of figure out what we want to do with that. So uh, we'll roll Mike Davis out this week for sure. But we'll, yeah. we're going to see what happens uh, after this and, and keep a watchful eye for the passing attack. I just want to bring up because I know some people still love Matt Ryan as a passer and what he's able been to do in his career as a fantasy quarterback I just want to say solid matchup for sure but I need to see it first because 2020 games with Julio uh, he had a 90 90 grade PFF he had 15 touchdowns three interceptions 106 rating 21 fantasy points per game with Julio without 67 PF grade 11 touchdowns eight interceptions an 82 rating and 14 points per game so nearly seven points different when he does and does not have Julio so that's something I'm watching obviously 
We're going to watch with bated breath also the the secondary option in the in the wide receiving core because as Johnny put it, we think it's going to be Pitts. We are likely to do that, but we've got Russell Gage and OZ or Olamide Zacchaeus that we um, are are looking at as well. We have an auto start for Ridley, the dominant targets that he's going to get. We love that, but I tend to think this offense could flow through Ridley and maybe even Pitts before it does the other two wide receivers, and it could be an alternating option though each week. Um, I'm not going to start either of these guys in the, as the secondary positions because we've already talked about Ridley dominating, but also Arthur Smith coming to town and wanting to run a more conservative approach. So I'm fading for now with a potential eye on future waiver wire picks for those backup guys. Um, that's just the take I have for those wide receivers at this point. Moving on to the next game, we've got the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Cleveland Browns. The Chiefs for, favored by six in a playoff game rematch. And Austin, I wanted to talk because I don't think it's been talked about enough yeah. is the potential that Baker could take this next step this year, yeah. really unlock the offense, really get to another level um, because we've seen this new offense be very conservative, very run heavy. Yeah. How are you looking at Baker? I think Baker's going to be better. I think Baker's good as it is, but I think Baker's going to be even better just due to the nature of human development. But look, man, the system in Cleveland is not going to do him or your fantasy team many favors. I don't think it's just going to allow him to blow up in the way you'd like to see him really unleash unless the opponent calls for it. And because of how good the Browns defense is, I don't know how often they're really going to be finding themselves in a shootout. And that's what you're going to need from Baker, because not just with that great defense do the Browns have this season. They got a great line and they have. I don't even want to say arguably they have the best two running backs in the NFL in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And last season, yeah, weeks 13, 14 and 15, Baker blew up, had averaged 325 yards and three touchdowns during that little run. But last season was also his most efficient season. Pro football focus had him ranked as the number 10 quarterback, Travis, but he was still just the number 18 quarterback in fantasy. Um, so this, the Browns right now are playing winning arguably dominant football right now and I don't think that's going to slow down and I don't think they need nor do they want Baker Mayfield to be this world beater type quarterback to get them into the playoffs and possibly deep into them so I think he's going to be better I think as a Browns fan you're going to love Baker Mayfield this year as a fantasy roster though I am coming in with tempered expectations Travis yeah I think outside of two QB leagues we're definitely just kind of tempering expectations for now but I do have this just I, I don't know maybe it's because Cleveland's fun to like because they've been an underdogs for so long you're trying to find reasons to root for big things for them Johnny when I look at this offense that starts with OBJ for sure as a guy who's like been on the shelf quite a bit over the last few years he could help Baker get to that next level I think of the Browns as like you know the the Minnesota Vikings of the uh, AFC. We have a dominant run game, a narrow target tree, and I look at that with these wide receivers. So, Johnny, how are we feeling about OBJ coming back off the knee injury? Could be limited, could be back to full strength. What's your what's your gauge on this? I am ultimately willing to flex him in this game if I need to. Again, I do expect a heavy run workload here to try to keep Pat Mahomes and that offense off the field, but. If you look at OBJ and what he was seeing in targets before he went down, I think he has a pretty safe floor. Uh, and I say that because he was getting about eight to 10 targets per game. 
He was seeing a floor of around 60 yards. I do think that there is some upside potential, especially if they get Mike Hughes on uh, or lined up against OBJ. I do think that the Browns will take their shots against him. It's a great matchup uh, for OBJ in that case. So I do think I would be willing to flex him with some potential upside this week. As far as Jarvis Landry goes, if I'm in a PPR league, I could potentially see myself flexing depending on who else I have on my roster. Uh, again, if the Browns do get down, if the, if the run game isn't working right, then I do expect the Browns to have to pass a little bit more to keep up in this game. And so I do think a beneficiary would be Jarvis Landry, but again, you're kind of needing game script to go your way in order for that one kind of to pan out. So realistically, when I'm looking at these wide receiver core, it's basically OBJ as a flex or I'm, I'm benching the other guys. I absolutely would agree with most of what you're saying, or pretty much all of what you're saying. Didn't mean to say most of what you're saying there. Uh, talk about the running backs here. We talked about how they, you know, Austin, you aptly said that they are probably the most dominant one-two punch in the league. We look at what happened. Yeah, yeah, they are. You know, uh, despite missing a month last year with an MCL strain, you saw Chubb finishes the RB11 in PPR. He was the RB9 in PPR points per game, so even better than actually his end-of-season finish on a points-per-game basis. We look at Kareem Hunt, and nearly identical points per game with and without Chubb, 13 points per game uh, in PPR. But this is the one that I liked here. He's more efficient and more deadly, more lethal with Chubb on the field. He gets 1.0 fantasy points per touch with him on the field. um, And without him, he gets 0.73 fantasy points per touch. So this does have a feel of an old Saints Ingram and Kamara backfield where both can be very and should remain very viable options week to week facing a 29th ranked Chiefs defense. Teams need to be smart here and attack the Chiefs on the ground. And that's what they do. They play ball control against Pat Mahomes in this offense. Speaking of Pat Mahomes and this offense, Austin, we're going to start with CEH, who was dealing with an ankle injury here and uh, got into a situation where he will, you know, maybe have trepidation as far as his bounce back campaign. And so how are you feeling uh, with the bounce back? It's projected right now, maybe an undersized back. You know, we've got an improved offensive line. Where are you at with CEH? Yeah, you know, bounce back implies there was a down year. And I see this as our expectations being a little bit off from last season. And I don't think our expectations were off from unjust uh, points. Like he was the number one halfback taken in the NFL draft. But as we know, Patrick Mahomes was asked who should we take. And he said, get my boy, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I think that tipped the scales a bit on that aforementioned expectation because he wasn't the number one talented halfback. Jonathan Taylor was slotted to be the number one most talented halfback. And we're seeing that production from him at the end of last season as Clyde Edwards-Alaire is looking like he's a good halfback who plays for a great offense. Last year, he was the number 21 graded halfback by Pro Football Focus. He was also the number 21 overall halfback in your fantasy lineups. And so we should expect to see some development, Travis. That line got better. Clyde Edwards-Alaire got better. We see a huge improvement from second round and later drafted halfbacks in their second year. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I think, is probably more accurately a second or maybe a third round running back, despite his first round selection in 2020. Um, So I do think we're going to see some improvement. I think he'll get better there. Um, But as you mentioned, also, there are other guys on the team right now. Daryl Williams and Jarek McKinnon are both a part of the roster. Johnny shared some great points on how Andy Reid has this reputation for being a one back type of coach. But that really isn't, it's not 
totally true. There is different ways of thinking and dissecting that one here. So everyone wants to see CEH work out, and I think he's going to develop into that guy. Uh, but we just need to adjust our expectations on for who he currently is. He's a good find back on a great offense. It could go a lot of directions. For this week right now, he is healthy. Um, he is going to get that starting job. We'll see if he disappoints. But I like him this week going up against um, Cleveland, even if they do have a, a solid defense top to bottom. Um, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense is nothing to – to pause on. And I think Clyde Edwards Alaire could just benefit from being a part of that offense as long as he's healthy, which it looks like he is. Yeah. It's like since Pat Mahomes has become the starter of this team, uh, the chiefs are a game I'm usually trying to watch every Sunday. Just, yeah. it's just very exciting stuff. And CH adds to that dynamic, but speaking about Patrick Mahomes, he's been the QB four uh, last year, but we, he was behind a line that surrendered the seventh most QB hurries and the seventh most QB hits last season. They did a lot of work in the off season to you know, protect him and get that going. I just want to see if we can get back to that MVP type play. He was a guy we told you to fade because it was just a little bit too early in drafts to take him. But he's a guy that I'm I'm looking at right now with this improved off offensive line. If he can get back to his ceiling, we obviously know Johnny that Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are auto starts. The, the big question that we're watching or the big storyline with the pass catchers is anybody outside of those guys. We've been talking for a couple of years now if if somebody's going to emerge, and maybe this is just an offense that doesn't use anybody else. Maybe that target tree is that narrow. How are you looking at it? Yeah, uh, some people might say like Byron Pringle, he kind of had a good uh, start of his preseason and things like that. I just don't like the the depth of the routes aren't significant enough to where and he's not getting enough volume in which I would say, yeah, he's worthy of a start or even a flyer. I do think, though, Meikle Hardman could emerge as that third wide receiver or third threat here for this passing offense because we know this offense is going to funnel through Tyreek and through Kelsey. However, with Michael Hardman, we know what the upside is. He is that other guy that you could pay, play on the other side of the, against Hill, and he can also run those deep throw, deep dart throws or deep routes. And so with that being said, there is a lot of upside because it only takes one of those in order to make your fantasy day. And what we've seen in preseason, through training camp, and in games is that they seem to have some kind of connection, Mikul and and Pat Mahomes, and it seems like every single day you're getting some kind of video of of uh, Mikul Hardman going deep and catching a long bomb. So I do think, in a as a a a long dart throw, you can throw Mikul in this game. He should have some nice matchups. I mean, Tyree Kill has the ultimate best matchups uh, of this weekend for as far as these wide receiver core go. But Mikul could end up drawing a couple of mismatches uh, on that same corner for uh, Cleveland. And so you could look for him to take a, a dart or a stab there uh, as far as when they're throwing. So I do think that Mikul will eventually at the end of the season be the third and emerging wide receiver for this team. Well, speaking of emerging, we need to talk about the emerging of the leader in the below the waist grooming. And that is Manscaped. Mm -hmm. Okay, they've got the 4.0 performance package right now, and we'd like you to not neglect your balls like the Packers front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. If you go over to manscaped.com right now and you use the promo code TFWMAN, that's T-F-W-M-A-N, you'll get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TFWMAN. It's time to train that, tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TFWMAN at manscaped.com. All right, moving on to our next game, gents. We've got the New Orleans Saints hosting our Green Bay Packers, Austin. We're excited about this one. We're excited about what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, which is 
the Aaron Rodgers maybe uh, revenge tour happening. But, Austin, I wanted to talk to you about the running backs first because A.J. Yeah. Dillon has emerged. Jamal Williams has left town. Uh, we've got this game right now at a 50-point over-under. Uh, Green Bay favored by three on the road, which means the run game should be established the whole game. This will be a good view to see if A.J. Dillon's going to have standalone value. I think so, right? And Aaron Jones, quick note on him, underrated stud, right? Back-to-back -back mm. top five fantasy finishes, averaging over five yards per carry and over 60 targets per season. Uh, stats out very well in nearly every single metric. He's had Jamal Williams behind him, who in his four years, Jamal Williams with Green Bay, has consistently finished in the 30s for overall fantasy production. Now, A.J. Dillon should be better than Jamal Williams in every single way. He beats him in his 40 time. He beats him in speed score, burst score, bench press, and weight, which is directly connected then to momentum, which is important when you're trying to get it over the line or just through a linebacker. If these improved and uh, better metrics from A.J. Dillon over Jamal Williams translate to production, which we expect that they will, A.J. Dillon will have all of that Jamal Williams work, which he'll do more with, plus his own work, because keep in mind he was on the field last year already, and eat into a little bit of Aaron Jones's work, which he should, right? Like you don't want to overrun a running back if you can avoid that. So because A.J. Dillon was looking in the 30s, excuse me, Jamal Williams was around in the 30s, I think there's a real opportunity here for A.J. Dillon actually to do the most with all of his physical attributes and find him in a RB2 type of situation. It's going to mean Aaron Jones moves from like a solid RB1 to a back-end RB1, but I think that's all right. And then A.J. Dillon there, he's, he's probably going to be a, an RB2. It'll be interesting to watch this. I'm really excited to see, just not just selfishly as a Packers fan, but as somebody that wants to see what happens in fantasy football with that backfield as well, because it's just been so hyper-efficient in the Aaron Rodgers years. Johnny, we'll switch gears really quick and go to the pass catchers here, because we obviously know you know, we're starting Devontae Adams as the king of that wide receiving core, but a lot of praise for MVS again this preseason, and Randall Cobb being brought in uh, to the situation as an old friend of Aaron Rodgers, plus Robert Tunyon in the mix. How do you make out these secondary pieces behind Devontae Adams so I'm starting Devontae Adams of course I, I don't think that's a, a shock to anybody I think everyone on this panel would agree with that um, now as far as that secondary wide receiver goes I do think if I'm taking a, a dart throw on that secondary wide receiver it is going to be MVS I do like to see the smoke you know uh, matching the fire that's coming there from camp and beat writers and so far that has happened with Mar Marquez we have talked about how Devonte Adams kind of fell, followed the same path and it would kind of line up just perfectly for Packers because this is the last year for Devonte Adams. Maybe they could segue into Marquez being that alpha wide receiver. Now that's kind of a long shot. I do understand, but I do think ultimately it ends up being Robert Tunyon who ends up seeing the most targets of anybody else on this team. I think that when you look at this team, this offense, they they have talked about wanting to get Robert Tunyon a little bit more involved. Last year, he had 14% target market share, which was, you know, we talked about that being on about average or par with a lot of the other teams in the league. The other, the main difference with Robert was that he had the massive touchdown uh, swing that went into his favor. I don't quite see that kind of happening again. However, I could see his target market share going up to about 16%, which would be on the upper end for tight ends 
due to the fact that, you know, if Marquez takes a little bit of a step forward, I do expect some of the other targets, you know, Lazard had about 10% market share last year, which I do think will come down. I think he falls down in that wide receiver core with the addition of Robert uh, of Randall Cobb. And the other thing I want to point out is with Williams now going to Detroit, Williams was consistently seeing about 10% of the, the market share as far as receiving go work goes. And, you know, AJ Dillon, he could have that in his repertoire, but it's not something that he was projected coming out of college. So I do think that some of that market share will now bump over to Robert Tunyon and he'll see that added increase in target market share. So overall, I do like Robert, Bobby, Bobby T, as we call him on the, on the show, you know, we pity a fool who didn't draft him uh, because I do think he has a good matchup this uh, weekend. Uh, Reach for your guy and reach for your segue. Or hey, there you go. Here, I hey. appreciate that, though. I love I love the effort. I did want to talk with Austin just a little bit on Aaron Rodgers. I know you, hopefully Johnny will give me the liberty to do this on our show. I know it's not. But I want to fanboy a little bit because something. Give me liberty or give me justice. Yeah, so, something, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll take, I'll take it both. Or give me uh, death, I guess. Yeah, I, guess. I think that's yeah. it. Yeah, I just I just want to talk a little bit about Aaron because we've talked about the last dance, Austin. But this is a yeah. guy that also finished with a career high touchdown rate, second highest touchdown rate of nine point one percent in NFL history. Yeah. And he had the most goal line touchdown passes ever in a single season. Yeah. And his, you know, his touchdown rate is six point three percent normally in a career. Do we think we're going to get more of last year where it seems to be this late season angry or now it seems to be uh, he's loving this year? He's got throwing up all the shakas all the time. What What's yeah. going to happen here? I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have his best season to date. And I am an Aaron Rodgers fan, but I have been very critical of Aaron Rodgers. And I think I've been watching him his entire career. And I dare even say, I think I understand him just a little bit from like a human perspective, if you will. And homie is emotional and he's petty, but he's super, super competitive and he's driven. And he might be still the best quarterback in the NFL. It's probably Patrick Mahomes. You know, we said for a while, the goat is Brady, the boat is Aaron Rodgers. And last year, I think he wanted to remind us of that. And you've seen him throw out little side comments. Maybe it's on the Pat McAfee show about, oh yeah, thanks Patrick for inventing the no look pass. You know, I haven't been doing that my entire career. Like Aaron Rodgers, dare I say, is a little underrated right now. And I think people forgot that he was the number two overall fantasy quarterback and the MVP of last season. He's also coming in with a huge chip on his shoulder and he's putting it on the table in a way Aaron Rodgers Travis, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's never put it down on the table like this. Like he's saying, we're here, we're Super Bowl or bust. We, they, him and Devontae Adams posted the last dance images on their social medias, which if anybody's listening who doesn't know the reference, um, the last dance was Phil Jackson called the 98 season with the Bulls ahead of time because he knew it was the last season they were all going to be together. So let's go ahead and win a championship and come out on top. And it looks like that's what Aaron Rodgers is looking to do. I think last year, actually, while it was these record efficiency numbers, Travis, I think that was really just him doing his thing when he was really motivated. <clears throat> I think there's even room for him to do arguably even better than that. Cause let's face it. We're in a new NFL. We're going to see yeah. these metrics and these records broken all the time, passing yards, touchdowns, these things, the game is just different for it. Aaron Rodgers, though, before Patrick Mahomes was the number one quarterback in NFL history of touchdown to interception ratio. He's now the number two quarterback all time of touchdown to interception ratio. So it's not like he was, and having an outlier season last year. Hey, he's, he's capable of it. it. It's it's kind of the point I was making on Derrick Henry. It's like we say Derrick Henry can't do it again because he was 2,000 yards, but are we talking about the wrong guys? Are we trying to compare the wrong guys to the rest of history? I Johnny, I appreciate you giving us a little liberty to get in there and talk about Aaron Rodgers. We could go on forever, but I do want to ask you about somebody who is not Aaron Rodgers, and that's 
Jameis Winston. Uh, actually, I'm asking Austin about Jameis Winston. Uh, so I'll get Austin back on the mic. But Jameis Winston here, I mean, what's the leash going to look like? Chasem Hill is behind him. We have to understand if, if, if you know, he's going to limit his upside. What are you seeing out of Jameis Winston here? Jameis Winston is an exciting player who has a high football fantasy ceiling. Um, the question is, is Sean Payton going to allow him to turn the ball over the way Jameis Winston turned the ball over in Tampa Bay? Yeah, he had over 30 touchdown passes. He had 30 interceptions as well. They didn't make the playoffs. They shipped Jameis out, and then Tom Brady came over, and they won a Super Bowl. So that doesn't take away, though, from Jameis's ability to throw for 30-plus touchdowns and 5,000 yards. He hasn't played winning football, though, Travis, and that's really where my line in the sand is drawn. How long a leash is Sean Payton going to give him? As long as one is until Jameis shows that he's not going to win you football games. And turnovers are a huge part of winning football, something that the Saints enjoyed with Drew Brees sitting behind center. Drew Brees' touchdown-interception ratio is 2.58. So every 2.58 touchdowns he throws, he throws one interception. Winston is 1.38. So this means you're almost getting as many interceptions as you are touchdowns. I mean, you're not getting more touchdowns than you are interceptions, but it's 1.38. And if that translate, it translates into losing football, it doesn't matter how many highlight plays Jameis Winston's going to have. Sean Payton might not totally give the job to Taysom Hill, but he might start working in a little bit of a dual quarterback system. We see that becoming something these days and i'm not surprised if sean payton is one to push that out even further but right now Jameis winston is the dude this week going up against green bay's uh 14th ranked pass defense it's not a it's not a it's a middle of the road matchup for him um and there's no chance i think this week of Taysom hill eating into any of that quarterback work so it's Jameis winston right now moving forward though it's just going to depend on how many games the new orleans saints are able to win I will say uh, Jameis in preseason has thrown zero interceptions and five touchdowns. So it could be that Sean Payton has actually fixed him in that. Uh, But we'll see. see. Yeah, and he did have LASIK surgery, so maybe the vision's better. We talk about that. These sound like more hopeful things to get behind than what we've seen in a career with Jameis Winston. But part of that will be the weapons he's got. And we saw another guy in preseason flash, Johnny, and that was Marquez Calloway or Marquez Calloway. So, when we look at those pass catching options because of Michael Thomas's injury and the other things going on, also the injury in the tight end position, how are you feeling when looking at what Jameis is going to be able to throw to? I do think that Marquez Callaway is going to be one of those wide receiver studs. You either got late in your draft or you were able to pick him up off of waivers. I do think that the, eventually in the next couple of weeks, he will have very good games in this game. However, I am not looking to start him. I do understand the upside is definitely there. However, you look at the Green Bay Packers last year, they were they ranked fifth lowest when you looked at uh, fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. So I am just looking to basically see what he does, see if that can, uh, chemistry continues to build. There is a potential that Callaway does have another monster game, but it's looking like it's doubtful against this Green Bay Packers defense. He should have better days ahead. I do believe they have a matchup against Atlanta coming up in one of these first few weeks. So I'd probably be looking to start him there. Uh, Traquan Smith is dealing with a hamstring injury still uh, or coming off of that. So I'm not really looking to start him and not uh, as well as Callaway or sorry, um, uh, Deontay Harris, not looking to start him either. 
I also want to just make a quick point that the Packers, as far as tight ends go, uh, they do allow the third fewest or last year they allowed the third fewest fancy points to opposing tight ends. So I know that Troutman was on a, a lot of people's, you know, sleeper tight end uh, pickups of the week or, or pickups of the year. And I would also bench him if you were looking that way as well. Yeah, I mean, from we've got Callaway and Winston. This team seems to be the team of, you know, hype this offseason and this preseason. Yeah. And Tony Jones is no debate on, or is no uh, slouch in his own hype this offseason as well. The backup running back for the Saints, 12 carries, 106 yards and a touchdown, 8.8 yards per carry in the preseason. So basically, I'm just saying this is an absolute smash start uh, for, for Alvin Kamara. We know that. I mean, Johnny, you talked about how good the Packers are against the pass in different ways. Well, they're absolutely god awful against the run. They allowed the fifth most points per game last year against running backs. I'm hoping that gets fixed as a fan. We've got a, a, you know, probably think that it won't absolute smash spot for AK. But I think that Jones uh, is a guy that we need to be watching in, in future waiver wire uh, pickups and just as a as a sneaky, you know, get ahead of the curve start or not start, but a sneaky pickup uh, to get ahead of the curve. Moving on to our next matchup, we have the New York Giants hosting the Denver Broncos. This is a low over under, so a, a streaming defensive uh, player's dream right now. It's a 41 and a half point over under. The the Denver Broncos favored by three on the road. When we start with the Denver Broncos. I just want to say quickly, you know, Teddy Bridge. I'll, I'll start with Teddy Bridgewater in this passing attack. I don't think that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a startable option in fantasy um, until we get further notice. But I do want to talk a little bit about these receivers. So Cortland Sutton uh, coming back around, you know, uh, Vic Fangio quoted today said that he turned the corner on his injury. Let's not forget that Teddy B, Teddy B actually produced three top 30 fantasy wide receivers last season in Carolina. Um, the ceiling could be capped with Bridgewater. But Robbie Anderson himself was secondary option in that offense last year, was wide receiver 23 and half point PPR. You got Sutton at a discount in your draft. I think Sutton's a fine play, you know, for a flex play right now if you, if you need it. Um, this is a tougher matchup, so it would depend on your lineup. But I just want to keep an eye on Sutton because I think he's going to be good. We also love Jerry Judy. Um, you know, the tar we know that targets are earned for Jerry Judy, and he earned 113 of them. I'm excited to see what he's going to be capable of doing with a capable, accurate, excellent quarterback. 105 wide receivers had a more catchable target rate than Jerry Judy last season. Imagine what he can do with a Teddy Bridgewater in the lineup. I'm excited to see that, and I'm rolling Jerry Judy out this week. And I'm keeping an eye on K.J. Hamler because we're talking about three capable pass catchers in this offense, what Carolina was able to do last year. Keep an eye on Hamler. Keep an eye on Fant, who's monitoring that knee. He's been limited in practice. Um, but, but Austin, I think the meat and potatoes of hype for fantasy football for this team has actually been the running backs who were drafted ahead of Judy here. Um, and so how do, you, how do you stake out this running back room? Do you think we can get, you know, Javante Williams sooner, sooner rather than later? Or do you have your hat hung on, you know, the old Wiley vet in, in Melvin Gordon? I wanted to be Javante Williams, was happy to select him in our dynasty rookie draft this season. Thank you very much, Hannon, for uh, picking up Travis Etienne ahead of him. Um, but I, I love Javante Williams. The thing is, Melvin Gordon is still on the roster, and Melvin Gordon last year was the RB14 in all formats, averaging over four and a half yards per carry and caught 32 passes on 44 targets. He also looked good in the preseason game where he took five carries for 35 yards. And Travis, there is a world where Melvin Gordon goes from being the one to the one a and never actually relinquishes his job. Last year, Melvin Gordon enjoyed a 58.3% snap rate with an improved back behind him in Javante Williams. I expect that number to come down, but I do not expect to see it break 50% going down. 
unless something happens and there's an injury, of course. But I think that Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams are going to run the rock well and could be a leading reason of why Denver surprises some folks from the overall win percentage. Yeah, definitely paired with that great defense. There are uh, something to yeah. keep in mind on. Maybe this could be a poor man situation where, you know, of a dual running back situation. We'll have to check that out and be mindful of that. You know, when we got to the Giants side of the ball, it wasn't very fun and pretty. And, and you know, like we're not looking at something we can stat out that we're, you know, want to get behind. I'll just start with Daniel Jones. I mean, only 12 passing touchdowns for these Giants last year. That was as many as Dak had in five games last season. Uh, not inspiring a lot of confidence, especially in this matchup against Denver. Denver. When I look at the wide receivers and the weapons he's got there, they all kind of be, you know, they all seem to be dinged up. Kenny Galladay, who they paid a massive bag to. I get that. I get that he's the alpha he could be and they paid him to be. I get that he is special, but I'm not playing Kenny G this week on the bum hamstring. He's against a secondary in Denver that PFF ranks as the, the 11th best uh, secondary. And they added a corner in the offseason. Um, I'm not you know, I'm kind of warming up to the idea of Shepard as a solid start this week, especially if Galladay um, is limited and misses time. We've seen what they've been saying about Shepard as it like a PPR monster, a guy with a connection with Jones. It just could be that safety net for Jones, especially with Ingram, who has not practiced, didn't practice Wednesday. And, uh, you know, we thought he might be getting back to it with padded drills on Monday, but he's not looking good now. He was barely drafted in fantasy, not inspiring enough against Denver, who allowed the third fewest touchdowns against tight ends this last year. Um, so just not a lot of excitement in those pass catchers or in Daniel Jones himself. I think, you know, the one caveat being Shepard in deeper leagues and, you know, multiple wide receiver leagues, you could try to fit him in there. But Austin, try to get me jacked here if you can on Saquon Barkley. We were talking in our, you know, our, our side chat about Saquon Barkley this morning. What's going on here? I don't think he's 100 percent, man. And if he is 100% healthy, I don't think he's 100% game ready. How could you be with as much time as he's missed coming into this season? I'm not also convinced that his ceiling is intact. You know, Saquon, I think, is going to be a decent running back floor play, probably, just because of the role we expect for him to have on the Giants. But before the injuries, he was the best running back in the world, you know, and he was like a level above Christian McCaffrey. He's just as fast as Christian McCaffrey. Just all this stuff, but he's bigger. He's got meatier thighs. He can hit you harder. Um, and every year we've seen since his rookie year, Saquon's injuries apparently have contributed to a decreased offensive grade, rushing grade, and overall elusivity grade. Can he bounce back and still be the best in the world? Sure. But look, that offense in New York isn't great. That line certainly isn't either. And the difference in the NFL between great, good, and the practice squad is really slim. Um, the Giants have been pretty low-key about Saquon. He's looking good for this week. But the lack of booming confidence says something to me, Travis. And look, Johnny had a great point talking about how many games or how many rush attempts Saquon has had, you know, of less than two yards per carry, less than three yards per carry. And then he has these bust out plays where he takes it to the house. Um, Saquon's not a boom or bust player. He's a boom type player who plays for a bust offense. But if his boom is taken away even just a little bit, it's going to really cut into those breakaway runs, which is going to take away a lot of the appeal of Saquon Barkley to me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I don't know if Johnny has anything to add on this lowly Giants offensive squad that he could, uh, you know, add in here at all. I just, I wanted a second. I don't believe that uh, Kenny G ends up playing this, this weekend. So yeah. And we'll let you know, obviously make sure you check back to YouTube for the news and Nuggets show. We'll definitely try to keep you as updated as we can on that. So check back with us. Also the Sunday lineup show on YouTube, make sure you are subscribed. Moving on to the next game, we have the New England Patriots hosting the Miami Dolphins in Foxborough with the Patriots favored by three most of the time when you're at home. If it's an even matchup, that's what they give you. They give you the field goal edge. 
Johnny, I want to talk about Tua Tungavailoa because that's where we have to start with this offense. The hype has been there for the guy, but he also feels like he, they haven't given him a long leash, even though they drafted him in the first round. It just seems like a weird narrative over there. How are you feeling? I know you've been the biggest proponent of Tua. Um, how are you feeling heading into week one? Uh, I'm heading into week one. I don't feel great and confident because he's going against New England. We do know that Bill Belichick likes to scheme against the quarterbacks and take away their best option. And so I do think it could be in for a long day for Tua. Not that I do expect that to happen for the entire season. I do think that Tua will have some very nice startable weeks. But as far as this week goes, he's more so only under my consideration. If I'm in a super flex league, then I would look to play him. Uh, he does have the rushing upside. But if you're in a single QB league, then I'm not looking to start Tua this week. But in the future, I, I do think Tua will be on one of those waiver wire shows for first start of the week. And we've got to talk his weapons, Austin. I mean, he, they brought in Jalen Waddle. They brought in Will Fuller. Do we see something here that's going to get him to the next level? And, you know, Johnny has concerns about this week. But what are we looking at with these pass catchers? I mean, I'm really looking at a lack of continuity. That's kind of the big thing that's standing out to me right now. And bear with me here on a bit of an extended metaphor, but this group of pass catchers and Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, and Jalen Waddle kind of gives me mystery men vibes. Uh, you know, the quirky superheroes from Champion City in the 1999 film Mystery Men. Like, look, they're all good, right? And they all mean well, but they've all got something kind of quirky going on. Um Will Fuller, he's suspended and he's always hurt. Devontae Parker was the was a wide receiver one two years ago. Otherwise, he's never cracked the top 40 in his five other seasons. Preston Williams, big and impressive six foot five stature, has made some crazy plays, but he's always hurt, including right now. And Jalen Waddell, bright future, sure, but he's an undersized rookie, and I'm unclear on how much Miami's actually going to be able to lean on him. I'm also concerned about the amount of snaps this group of four is actually going to get to play together. It seems like a bunch of really good substitute teachers trying to make a school happen. <laughs> And I just don't know if it's all going to work out the way that we know it could if they were all really bought in and were able to play football together for meaningful amounts of time. Everybody picks on the substitute teachers, too. It's not a role you want to be in. It's like people you know. abuse you, they use you, right? Yeah. Like they, know you, they know that you don't know where the teacher's lounge is. They give you false directions and stuff. It's jo brutal. Johnny, any quick point on Mike Gusecki this week? I know you've been a, a big fan of him. Are we starting him in our lineups? He was kind of drafted as a later round tight end. You might have another option. If you have another option, then, yeah, I would probably go that way. I do expect, look, Jacecki's not going to have a ton of receptions, but he'll have big plays. And so you could probably see a stat line of, you know, three to four catches for like 60 to 80 yards and a potential of a touchdown. But again, it's going to be lower targets, but he is a massive, massive player for that offense. Speaking of a massive player for the offense, I think Miles Gaskin fits that role as a, as a guy that's going to be a workhorse. We have had whispers of maybe uh, a committee, so we'll have to be watching this. But this is a guy who played no less than 61% of snaps in 10 games in 2020. In five of those games, he had 69% or more of snaps, which was nice. Uh, saw 115 total touches in those games, 23 touches per game, averaged respect, respectable four yards per carry, 4.1 yards per carry, despite playing behind one of the worst offensive lines and you know Miami's offensive line not looking that great this year either 29th in, in the NFL ranked per pro football focus but at least we know if he's done it last year he can do it again so Johnny uh, to quote you like put some respect on Miles Gaskin's name here we're going to head into this matchup against a New England defense that was 32nd against the run last year might surprise a few people that how bad they were against the run we'll see uh, when we get in 
to the New England backfield. We look at Damian Harris, who saw Sony Michelle traded away. We see Ramondre Stevenson be the preseason superstar that he was. We see James White being the guy that stays around there. Uh, Austin, how are you feeling? Cam Newton's gone. Sony yeah. Michelle's gone. This running back room looks to be Dame time. It looked to be Dame time, and I think it probably will be. I'm definitely starting him in week one, and I'm feeling good about it. But there is also Ramondre Stevenson on the roster. We got J.J. Taylor. We also got James White. And for a little bit of historical context that could help paint a picture of what Bill Belichick might be rolling with forward, we got to take a look at two different samples. we got to look at the last four years, and then we got to look at 2016 in particular because they do paint a bit of a different picture that could suggest what could be coming up in the year 2021 from the Patriots running backs. In the last four seasons, Travis, only one running back has broken 40% snap percentage. Any guesses? That's James White. And he did it oh, twice. I knew that. And he did it twice and he's still <laughs> on the team, right? Like he's yeah. broken 40%. Yeah. He's the only one to do it in the last four years. And he's still on the team. And there's no real concern because of the way he plays the game. Um, but in 2016, we had LeGarrette Blunt. He had 47% snap percentage. Um, White had 38% and Lewis was still on the team. He came in with just 146 we all know about the crazy touchdown performance that LeGarrette Blunt had with 18 touchdowns in 2021. The number that was even surprising me when I was statting out for this show was he had 1,100 yards, actually closer to closer to 1,200 yards. Yeah, 1,161 on 299 carries. Like this dude. Yeah, he averaged less more. than three yards per carry or four yards per carry. On he averaged 3.88 yards per carry. Yeah. That's true. But we know a lot of those carries, he only had one or two yards available for him, which he went ahead and picked up. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that he was the most efficient runner or anything like that. I'm just saying that he got used, man. He got uh, almost 300 touches, 18 touchdowns, t- almost 1,200 yards. That's a narrative we move away from a lot of the time. I don't know if Damian Harris Travis is that halfback. Ramondre Stevenson could be moving forward, yeah, but Damian it. Harris is just good, dude. Like Damian Harris was the number three ranked pro football focus halfback last season, um, just behind Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. The dude can run. Um, it's just going to be will he get enough of those opportunities behind with those other talented backs still on the roster? Love him week one, though. Yeah, I think that's that's the case is we're going to love him until we don't really like that. He's going to get that leash as the first guy to start, and then we'll just see what Belichick does with it. But I love the outlook right now. It's very rosy. Also really loving the outlook on Jacoby Myers right now. Jacoby! After finish- yeah, I knew Johnny was going to be jacked about this. We've talked about it on the show. Uh, after finishing last year with double-digit PPR fantasy points in 7 of 12 games, Myers was dubbed the best wide receiver in camp this offseason by Jeff Ho of The Athletic. Uh, last year, he was the 8th best wide receiver in yards per route run with 2.37. He's not going to rely on that rookie QB, but he's you know been touted. You know, Mac Jones has been touted for accuracy and decision-making. So this is a guy that lines up with a Jacoby Myers um, that we really like, just not interested in the other wide receivers. Nelson Aguilar dealing with an ankle right now. Kendrick Bourne, just not somebody who's flashed at all in camp yet. And with the rookie quarterback and, uh, you know, with the pass defense that Miami has, I'm just kind of not ready to go there. But I do think that Jacoby could be started in your flex. I think that you could get him out there as a way to attack this passing defense. And I think he's somebody that, you know, has my attention a little bit. Mac Jones kind of similar has my attention in two QB leagues not anything out that but I just don't want to trust him right now against Miami yet until I see it but he definitely has my attention Johnny what do you make of these tight ends because that's another one that here because maybe if it's Jacoby and the tight ends then we've got our market share we've got our target tree to look at 
Yeah, I do believe that those will be the leading ones. Uh, I do want to mention Hunter Henry now back at practice. That is uh, significant uh, you know, news because we were just projecting as of right now, Jonu was going to get the bulk of that uh, receiving work, which made us really excited. I do still think that Jonu is a start here. I would be concern, uh, concerned with starting Hunter Henry just because he is coming back from that injury. How is his conditioning? How much is he going to be involved in this first game? But I do think in the future, Hunter Henry, if he could stay healthy, he will carve out a nice uh, market share here. But yeah, so for me, if I'm starting a tight end from New England, which I do think you should do because they will funnel a lot of the targets through the tight ends this year, uh, Jonu should be the main beneficiary. And we have seen that rapport and heard that rapport all throughout training camp. All right, gents, it's time that we talk about the Sunday night football game, the Sunday night football yeah. matchup. The Los Angeles Rams will be hosting the Chicago Bears on Sunday night football, which means we'll heal, get to hear Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth again as the Rams are seven-and-a-half-point favorites at home in a 46-over-under. If you like fresh and fantasy football content, make sure you subscribe over on the YouTube channel. Hit that like button on your way in. It would greatly help us grow this channel, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Austin, we're going to start with the Chicago Bears, arch rivals of our Green Bay Packers, and we're going to start with Andy Dalton. And I just really want to know how short is Andy Dalton's leash here? I don't think he's on a leash. I think he's in a noose. And Ooh. I think he's a Get sacrifice. Yeah. Ooh. Dalton is going to do one of two things. He's either going to go off like a boss and earn the job that he already has, or he'll do anything other than that, take a bunch of hits, and then he's going to hold the clipboard. Um, he's going to need to do both win and be impressive to earn the job that they already say is his he's a sacrificial lamb man he's not uh he's not on a short leash yeah and and that's what it looks like because if you look at the schedule after this it opens up pretty well for maybe a justin fields uh, homecoming which is what or homecoming uh you know a, a home i guess it's homecoming it's yeah just like i guess a, it could be it's time it's time for us to get to justin fields is what i'm getting at here and uh that would mean a lot of good things for Allen robinson in this passing core but johnny for this game against the bears anything outside of uh of Allen robinson or are you just trusting the target market share that robinson's going to have in this tough matchup yeah, basically, it you're just trusting in the market share and you draft him to be one of those dominant wide receivers. It's not looking great outlook for this weekend going against Ramsey, most likely on most of the snaps. Uh, so not a great start. And I do want to mention that the Rams secondary, uh, they only allowed two receiving uh, games of more than 100 yards last year to any wide receiver. Robinson last year when they played had four receptions for 70 yards against this defense. So Robinson ceiling this season is still in the wide receiver one range. However, in this week's matchup, he's more of a wide receiver too. So just know that uh, when you're putting him in your lineup, be expecting, you know, a, a, a down day per se. Yeah, and I think that's the case for everybody outside of Robinson. We're just not starting, and that includes the tight ends. When we look at these tight ends, I want to be you know mindful of the usage because I do think Cole Komet could be a breakout this year, and Jimmy Graham still exists. So I want to see the usage. It's a tough draw. They, you know, obviously the Rams gave up the fewest, the eighth fewest yards to the tight end last year. So we're not starting either of those guys. But Austin, um, or I'm sorry, Austin, uh, you told us about Dalton. I want to get into the running back room because we've all been talking about Dave Montgomery this offseason. We've all been kind of hyped on Dave Montgomery and his and his outlook. He had six straight games of 20 or more fantasy points and half point PPR last year. Eight touchdowns over those final six weeks. Ended the year as the RB6 in standard and the RB4 in PPR. This is the good first test to that easy matchup mm -hmm. narrative that we've had because 
we've, we were told those six cupcake matches were why he finished that way. That's why we drafted him in the second and third rounds. And we drafted Jonathan Taylor in the first, the Rams were the fifth best D against the run last year. You are starting Montgomery in most cases, unless you went heavy RB robust and you have something else in there, you're starting Montgomery. Uh, but I just want to be on the lookout for Damian Williams and his pass catching role. We saw Monty completely absorb Cohen's work last year. I want to know if that's going to be the case this year as they bring in a journeyman who's been known for his pass catching in previous stops in Damian Williams. Austin, now I want to ask you about the other side. The exciting side of this matchup really is is the Rams and Matt Stafford coming sure. to this new offense, being traded a boatload of picks for. I mean, Stafford's a guy we've watched closely, Austin, as, as Packers fans. We've seen Stafford play our Packers a lot. How are you looking at this new lineup, this new team he's on, and this new coach he's got? You know, initially I was really excited about Matt Stafford, and I thought we're going to see some crazy ceiling action from Matt Stafford, reminiscent of his 2011 Detroit days where he had over 5,000 yards passing and 41 touchdowns with just 16 interceptions. And there's a path where that does happen, Travis. But when I'm looking at last season, um, and one of the reasons working, one of the things working in Stafford's favor is that he had the third most amount of dropped balls last year. This was not on Matt Stafford's fault. This came from uh, poor wide receiver play. Now, Jared Goff was the number 16. So it's number three versus number 16. So you assume then if Stafford is in Goff's role, he's going to have more yards, more touchdowns because there's better offensive weapons around him to pick up the pick up the slack from it. Um, but honestly, man, Detroit and LA looking through the numbers had pretty similar pass attempts through their last three seasons. Um, but Detroit has been used to be playing from behind as well la has a great defense this season and a better cast of weapons and a running back situation too i'd argue um so i'm not really sure if stafford is going to have to ball out actually on this la rams team and flirt with his ceiling to win football games that doesn't do great for your fantasy squad i think he's going to be good but i just don't think we're going to be seeing this 5,000 yard 40 plus touchdown season out of matt stafford um I'm not in love with him week one either going up against Chicago's ninth best pass defense, but you could do a lot worse, Travis. Um, you drafted him. It's exciting. It's a great new team, great weapons. You're going to start him week one. But again, because of how good this team is, I'm not sure if we're going to see that ceiling type of performance season long from Stafford. That's such an interesting take because if you look at way the fantasy football industry, they were savvy to this. We didn't draft Matt Stafford as some high upside guy. We didn't draft him as a ceiling. He was kind of that fringe QB one. So definitely something to keep an eye on. So if that's the case, Johnny, we're looking at maybe the old McVay offense where it runs through the running back room, where it's going to be run first and those things. And so when I look at this running back room, we had Daryl Henderson get the injury. We had Cam Akers go down. Henderson seems to be fully healthy now. Uh, that's what the reports are saying. But then the Rams go and trade Sony for Sony Michelle, who has now become a popular stash in the in the later rounds of drafts. Where are we at with this running back room in a really you know tough matchup this week? I do ultimately believe that Sony Michelle will be the better start for this week. I think his floor is safer because I do think he is going to get the bulk of the receiving work out of the backfield, which I do think is how they're going to try and attack this Bears defensive line, which is very good. Uh, I do expect Henderson to be involved. I think he'll get anywhere from you know 10 to 12, maybe 13 touches in this game, but I think they're all going to come on the ground, and I'm not so certain he gets that goal line work. Sony Michelle has been very good around the goal line, and so I do think that uh, at the end of the day, Sony gets around the same amount of carries as Henderson, but also does see the passing work and potentially that goal line. So for me, I would rather start Sony. I know that sounds absolutely disgusting, uh, but I would rather start Sony if I have to start one of these two 
Uh, but I do fully admit that this could be a straight up split. It could be right down the middle. We're not so certain 100% on how this is going to go. It's just basic, uh, basically what we've heard from Sean McVay and what tendencies he's generally used uh, when scheming up guys. So that's where my head's at and why I would in general go with Sony over Henderson this week. But I do think it's more of a flex play as opposed to being like, yeah, it's a definite RB2 for you. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the pass catchers. You know, the debate all offseason has been Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. We've been making that debate. We did it on the face-off show. Robert Woods, top 15 wide receiver in PPR for three years straight. He will lose out to Jared Goff and his ways to, you know, kind of want to dump the ball down a lot of ways. Uh, but uh, I still like Robert Woods. I don't know if I love him more than Cooper Cup in this matchup. Over the last two years, Cup has seen 10 fewer targets than Woods. He's had 13 touchdowns versus Woods, eight touchdowns in that span, and that was with only scoring three touchdowns last year. Uh, five, uh, 507 yards after the catch, which was third in the league. Robert Woods ranked fourth. So we know what this offense wants to be. It wants to run and then get the ball in these wide receivers' hands, so we'll see. My bet remains the same that Cup is the guy I want to bet on, but if Stafford hits his ceiling, as Austin was talking about, then we have two weekly top 15 wide receivers every single week, and that could be something that becomes very interesting. Don't mind you drafting Robert Woods. Don't mind if you have to start him this week based on your build. But it, for me, it's Cup, and I think Cup is actually a lot safer and more in that wide receiver two, wide receiver three range where you know Woods is going to be more of your flex. Johnny, I wanted to ask you quickly about Higby. We've been on the banging the drum for Higby all offseason. Now he doesn't have Everett, but he is facing a tougher matchup in these Bears. Yeah, I still think you're going to go out and start him again. I think that he'll be one of the major beneficiaries for, uh, you know, as far as receiving work from Matthew Stafford. And it, yeah, it isn't the greatest matchup on paper, but I do expect him to get a significant amount of targets to where you're okay starting him uh, for your fantasy roster. All right, our final game on the slate is the Monday Night Football matchup. The Las Vegas Raiders host the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football on ESPN. Raiders at the, in their own the first time they're going to play in that stadium out there in the desert. Um, it's a 51 point over under Vegas favored or I'm sorry, uh, Baltimore favored by four and a half. But guys, some massive news that's come in uh, to this this Ravens team. And so, Johnny, I'll start. You know, we, when we started to stat this show out, we said all aboard the Gus bus. And right now we're dealing with reports that Gus may be done for the year. Yeah, this is very like it it just keeps getting worse and worse for Baltimore's run running game. Obviously, Dobbins goes down a couple weeks ago. We were all aboard the Gus bus, bandwagon and train, and then this news literally, you know, came came on during the time we were recording. You could probably go back and find my reaction on the show when we found out cuz I was in absolute shock. Uh, what does this mean for fantasy terms? Well, uh, Tyson Williams becomes a much more interesting dart throw. We were going to talk about him on the show and just see what he could do. There were rumors that he had uh, a really good training camp and he had kind of bumped out uh, Hill already, uh, Jeremy Hill, for that you know second to third running back spot. And then Hill also got injured as well. So just I don't know what's in the water in Baltimore, but it definitely has me concerned uh, for sure. For sure. So Taysom Williams now becomes a very interesting play for me. Uh, I would like to kind of toss it off of you guys. I, I do think that he becomes an interesting play uh, because he should get the bulk now. And now Le'Veon Bell becomes even more interesting than uh, what we initially had talked about. We thought that you'd maybe get some of the receiving work, get a couple snaps here and there. Now he might actually have to play a significant role because they have nobody else. So 
Uh, definitely a lot of changing news and information going on. Not only that, but then their defense uh, take potentially taking a huge blow as well in that Marcus Peters went down with a potential seizing ending injury which also doesn't bode well for this defense. And if you took this defense high ranked, uh, that is also a concern. Tyson Williams is a guy I just want to highlight as a guy that was sneaking up, you know, people's boards, you know, coming in because he was a guy that overtook that RB2 role. And, you know, I know it's going to be quick to go out to the waivers and get Le'Veon Bell, but I wouldn't put it past Tyson Williams to be the guy here. He's a pat. He's yeah. able to be a pass catcher. He's a guy I would want to put in my lineup um, if I went really RB thin um, in this game because it's just such a high over under. We'll know a lot more about Bell's status coming into that game, but I know that the Ravens and Lamar Jackson was hyped on Tyson Williams. So if you're run, if your quarterback similar to our take on Chase Edmonds, you know Kyler Murray's been hyping Chase Edmonds up all off season. I, I think if Lamar Jackson's hyped on Tyson Williams, I want to keep an eye out on getting him off the waivers. Austin, I want to talk to you about these pass catchers because they've had their share of injuries as well and turnover in that pass catching core. We know that Mark Andrews is the auto start as the apple of Lamar Jackson's eye, but what about these pass catchers? I'm going with a familiar metaphor on this one. These pass catchers to me are hitting me in the same way the mystery men do. The quirky <laughs> superheroes of Champion City from the 1999 film Mystery Men. Look, Marquise Brown, Sammy Watkins, Tylon Wallace, um, Rashad Bateman, right? Like they've gotten these gnarly injuries. They've gotten Sammy Watkins, another high draft pick who's often always injured. Marquise Brown, the num- the first round draft pick who we're perennially waiting to break out and yeah, they're done with Willie Snead. They're done with miles Boykin. I'm not sure right now, given the health of the new acquisitions, they're even in, in an improved situation over last year and Lamar's wide receivers haven't done him a huge favor. I'm not sure if this is the year that it's going to turn and we would need Marquise Brown to level up. We need Sammy Watkins to stay healthy and ask me why either one of those are going to happen. And I'm, I don't have a strong case for you, man. I wish I had a better case, but. I yeah. Just... I, the other thing is too, like, you know, we need Lamar Jackson to level up, you know, mm-hmm. and like, that's what we've, we're trying to look at as a pass catcher. You want these things around him to level up. I don't know if he can do it. He finishes the cube as a QB one last year. He was the QB 10 overall, but he did it behind back-to-back seasons with over a thousand rushing yards, no game over 270 passing yards, 75 passing yards last year. Look, this is going to be a good test because the Raiders defense is 22nd ranked against the past. We have been hearing Lamar's dedication to the passing work. They brought in other coaches, the tighter spiral, um, but he just doesn't seem to have a lot of weapons on the squad right now to get it done. Uh, We will see. Like, let's see. I think Lamar's going to be a fine fantasy option for you because of the rushing upside, but his ability to hit that MVP top, you know, two tier is probably still not there without some better passing weapons, or as Austin said, leveling up from the other guys in the offense. I want to go to the the Las Vegas Raiders side of the ball where we've been hearing a lot about Kenyon Drake getting signed for a massive deal or a big deal for a backup running back, I should say. Josh Jacobs, a former first-round pick, now questionable, undisclosed injury, but he's expected back at practice by the end of the week. So, Johnny, um, you know, will Drake's presence actually spell this, you know, the death of Jacobs' value as we've been hearing all offseason? And what are you looking at in this matchup against Baltimore? I, I don't think it spells the death of, of Josh Jacobs. I mean, now the injury will monitor that as well. If he doesn't return, then obviously Drake becomes a very intriguing start for you this weekend. However, uh, I, I want to compare this I, I, and bounce this off of my co-host. I, 
I really want to say the Las Vegas Raiders backfield is a poor man's Cleveland Browns uh, running back backfield. If, if you can even say that, like, you know, I guess now you can because people believe in Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. But it's going to be very, very similar in that uh, Josh Jacobs is going to get the bulk of the carries and the workload on the ground. Uh, Kenyon Drake will come in. He'll spell some of the groundwork, but he'll, his most of his damage is going to be through the passing work. I don't think Josh Jacobs will get very many uh, passing opportunities there. And then I could definitely see that Josh Jacobs is going to be the first crack at the goal line. Uh, but we do know that Drake is one of the most efficient, most effective uh, within the five yard line as well. So you could see some trickery as far as double running back systems in there. Uh, but when you're looking at this game, you're looking at, the Vegas Raiders needing to stay in this game. So I was expecting a heavier running workload, a heavier game plan on the running game. So I do think Josh Jacobs is still uh, barring, you know, any significant injury news that comes out in the next couple of days. I do think that Josh Jacobs is still in your lineup and still playable. And I think that Kenyon Drake is an interesting dart flex throw. Uh, if you need a running back, however, if, anything does happen to Josh Jacobs, then Drake immediately becomes a, a starter for me uh, for this week. I'm glad that you brought up uh, Baltimore's game plan. I just want to say to Whisper Nation, or, or those of you watching right now on YouTube or listening on the podcast, make sure you go and check this line again, because right now it's at four and a half, but it could change with the Gus Edwards news. And if it does change drastically, then you know that they don't have faith in Baltimore's offense as much. So you can kind of adjust accordingly. But mm -hmm. right now it stands at four and a half. Austin switching back to the Raiders and what I think is the focal point, what we saw the focal point of their offense was Darren Waller last year. We know we're starting Darren Waller. We drafted him in the second round. I'm really interested to see where his ceiling goes this year, if he can touch that Kelsey tier. But uh, do you see him as just this continuing focal point of the offense? Yep. Uh, the unique story tight end has been a top three tight end over the last two seasons, Travi. And this year, I believe he's primed for his best season yet. If the wide receivers in Las Vegas, namely Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, do take a level up, I think this is only going to help the Raiders offense and help Darren Waller. Um, neither Ruggs nor Edwards are going to eclipse Darren Waller as the primary option or the primary talent. Them getting better is just going to create more series, more first downs, and more opportunities for Darren Waller to eclipse 1,100 yards again. That's what I expect to see, and I, I would be shocked, honestly, if anything else came through. Yeah, a note on those pass catchers, because I know that Austin and I have kind of been, you know, you know, quieter fans of Henry Ruggs as somebody yeah. just as a dart throw. Uh, uh, you know, Johnny been a louder uh, fan of Brian Edwards. Uh, I want to talk about them as not options for me this week, but I want to talk about why you need to be keeping your eye on them. If we look at Henry Ruggs last year, obviously the fastest wide receiver selected in 2020's draft, but he had a terrible rookie season, only 43 targets, 26 catches, under 500 yards, only two touchdowns. Then we switch gears to Brian Edwards, you know, earliest breakout age that they have recorded on player profiler he was a top five prospect coming into the nfl in a stacked class six foot three 212 pounds he's been comped to Corey davis via player profiler and comp to terrell owens by john gruden so we have a lot of comps and a lot of excitement within him uh he'll be playing that nelson aguilar role because aguilar left to the patriots that yielded about 13 percent of the target market share so I think that it's a hope and a prayer right now until we can see the offense cater to either of these wide receivers that they have. 
you know, obviously complimenting Waller, but it's wait and see for me. Only the Ravens targeted their wide receivers fewer times than the Raiders last year. So that's not something I want to be signing up to go put in my lineup right away, but it's definitely a storyline we want to watch heading into this season. Well, gentlemen, we did it. That's the Monday night football matchup for everyone. And that's it for our show here. If you liked what you heard, please hit that subscribe button over on the YouTube channel. It would help us grow the channel and good luck in all of your matchups this weekend. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, for Austin Sear, I'm Big Travi. We're the Fancy Whispers. We're out. Peace. 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 Good luck this weekend, Whisper Nation. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Whispers podcast. You can hear more from John and Travis on Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TF Whispers. 